Thank you and uh, good morning everyone. Did I put this on correctly? Yes, it looks like it's on. Uh, it's uh, good to be able to be with you today and uh, thank you for the lovely worship and uh, being able to participate uh, in the prayers and in communion together. Uh, it's uh, a real joy to be able to be brothers and sisters together in the Messiah. The Lord has made us all one in Him and He's broken down the walls of hostility that existed and uh, has, de- has demolished that through His body and His blood that He has shed for us. And uh, so together now we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what a joy to come together this morning. And uh, thank you for the chance to come back and to be with this congregation. Um, I do want to share a little bit about uh, the work that we've been doing. And uh, today I've been asked to share about Israel. Uh, and so I'll, uh, I'll focus a little bit about uh, some of the things that have been happening uh, in our ministry, uh, both locally but also in Israel itself. So I think I have a PowerPoint. Some of uh, our uh, slides are there about our ministry. Um, our main focus as a ministry, we're actually now uh, 21 years old here in Australia. We started in 1995. Uh, my wife and I worked also for five years before that uh, back in South Africa uh, amongst Jewish people in Johannesburg. And then uh, having come here in 1995, we started to work at Celebrate Messiah. Originally, our focus was uh, work here, reaching to, uh, out to Jewish people uh, mainly in Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne uh, is the, uh, the, the main uh, and largest Jewish community in Australia. And so uh, back down in Caulfield, we call it the Holy Land of Australia because of uh, the large Jewish community. Uh, but, uh, the, of course, Jewish people are scattered all around the country. So our focus was to uh, bring the gospel to Jewish people from whence the gospel came from in the first place. So that's our mission statement, bringing the message to the original messengers, most Jewish people today do not believe in Jesus, as you're probably aware. Uh, there's probably about 2% of us that do. So that's um, a huge task that we have to bring the, the message to the rest of our people. And so we set up uh, in Australia. And so the next slide I think might uh, give you some of our uh, uh, places that we've done some ministry here uh, in Australia, but we're also involved in work uh, in New Zealand, in Russia, and uh, in Israel itself. Uh, and next slide uh, is uh, some of the uh, other areas where we've uh, done some ministry over the years uh, together with our partners, Chosen People Ministry. We uh, do work in about uh, 12, uh, actually no, 16 countries around the world uh, working together with Chosen People Ministries. Uh, now, Israel has become quite an important focus of ministry to Jewish people. Now, you remember, of course, 2,000 years ago, uh, most Jewish people lived, obviously, in Israel. There were Jews that lived in uh, some of the other countries, but most of us lived in Israel. Then uh, came the Romans in 70 AD, uh, demolished the temple, and there was uh, an exile out of uh, Israel. But then again in 125 AD, another uh, exile of the Jewish people when uh, Jerusalem was finally and completely destroyed. And... uh, Uh, The name of uh, Jerusalem was changed uh, and uh, Jews were exiled to the four corners of the earth. So now, of course, you find Jewish people uh, scattered throughout the the earth. Uh, That's why we can do ministry even in places like uh, New Zealand, where uh, uh, if you actually go to the very south island of New Zealand, it's the furthest you can get from Israel, and yet, of course, you'll find Jewish people there. 
So we were scattered throughout the, the, uh, the world. Uh, since 1948, 68 years ago, uh, Israel became a nation once again. And uh, uh, Israel has been growing as a nation. Uh, so for 68 years, Jews have been returning from the four corners of the earth to Israel, making what we call Aliyah, uh, returning to, uh, to the nation of Israel once again. Uh, I believe, of course, uh, first of all, 1948, the establishment of the State of Israel was a fulfillment of prophecy. God had promised that one day He will bring His people back again, a second time. You know, we are a people who have been exiled twice and returned to our same land twice, which is quite an incredible miracle. God returned us back uh, to the nation of Israel, and uh, since then, Jews have been returning. Uh, and so today there's, uh, there's over 6 million Jewish people living in the, in the nation of Israel. Jews have come back from uh, many, many countries around the world. In recent years, uh, when persecution of Jewish people have broken out in various parts of the world, then Jewish people once again in those countries realize we better go back to live in Israel. So recently there have been Jews who have um, made Aliyah from France, one of the uh, most anti-Semitic countries in the world today. Uh, there's been uh, Jewish people returning from uh, some other countries uh, like eastern Ukraine as you can imagine life in Ukraine is not easy in the east in particular and many Jews who have uh, been living there who resisted returning to Israel 25 years ago when the Iron Curtain came down or 20 years ago or so now they're realizing they better go back to Israel so there's been an incredible influx of, uh, of people back into the land of Israel What's unique about this is that now you have Jewish people living in Israel that come from all over the world, all different uh, kind of cultures in a sense, even though they may be all Jewish, uh, they've brought with them into the land of Israel all their different cultures, like uh, Russian um, and uh, French. Uh, you've got the Ethiopian Jews, you've got uh, Indian Jews, you've got Chinese Jews, you've got all sorts of Jews uh, coming from all over the world, coming back to Israel. So it's an incredible uh, nation where... There's great opportunity in these days to share the gospel. So I'm going to ask you to, to jump down to uh, the picture of, uh, of uh, our work in Israel. There's a, a picture of a Jewish man praying at the Western Wall. I'm going to ask you to please pray for the nation of Israel today. Uh, with all the influx of uh, immigrants to Israel uh, and with the constant threat of war, and not only a threat of war, war around us and sometimes uh, within our own borders in Israel, a lot of people in Israel live below the poverty line. It's not really a known fact, but one-third of all children in Israel live below the poverty line. Uh, and so there's an uh, incredible need in the nation of Israel today, and this is where many uh, Christian and Messianic organizations are, are finding an opportunity to share the gospel uh, through practical means and showing love in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. So, next slide is uh, some of our work in uh, Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv. We are involved uh, with soup kitchens and distribution of, uh, of food and clothing. Uh, also in Tel Aviv, there's uh, a ministry to rehabilitate in uh, drug and uh, alcohol addicts. Uh, and uh, many of them have come from the former Soviet Union um, and find themselves uh, in Israel without work, uh, without an opportunity to get jobs. Some of the elder, elder, elderly Russian Jews have returned from Russia 
were double scientists or double doctorates but can't find work in Israel, can't speak the language. So it's a great need. So we've been doing uh, this kind of uh, practical ministry in Israel throughout, uh, uh, mainly in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, but there are other centers as well. Next slide uh, is uh, uh, some of the outreaches that we do from time to time. Uh, you may be interested in going to the land of Israel. Who's visited Israel before? Okay, a handful, just three or four. Well, the rest of you, uh, opportunity of a lifetime to go visit Israel, to learn the Bible in the land where it all began, or actually to go and do outreach in Israel, um, to go and do evangelism uh, on the streets or in um, uh, orphanages, uh, old age homes, or uh, on the beaches. Uh, opportunity to share the gospel with uh, Jewish people in Israel. If you're interested in that, please make sure you get a uh, a newsletter from us. We have our mission trips that go from time to time. Sometimes we're taking younger people from 18 to 35. We'd also like to take 36-year-olds to 99-year-olds. So if you're in that group, you might also want to come and do mission in Israel. Great opportunities uh, to do that. Next slide <coughs> uh, is about our work in New Zealand. Just quickly, uh, it's an interesting thing that's happening in New Zealand and also here in Australia. And... Um, uh, it was alluded to earlier in our, our news that we have wandering, uh, reaching wandering uh, Israelis. What happens with uh, young Israelis after they uh, go to uh, the army? For uh, men, it's uh, three years. For uh, uh, women, it's two years. They go to the army. And as you know, there's uh, often pretty uh, intense experiences that they have in the army. War that they get uh, thrown into, etc. and other um, uh, difficult circumstances and when they finish with that they want to travel they want to get out of Israel so what uh, often they do is um, leave Israel they go either to India uh, and often for wrong reasons like drugs and alcohol and, uh, and that kind of thing and then they may come down to New Zealand and over to Australia another destination is South America Brazil and Argentina and so these young Israelis want to travel get out of the land and when they are traveling, they're very open. In India, they're open to all sorts of things that are different religions there or uh, in Asia. Uh, but when they come to New Zealand, what's uh, quite amazing is that there's uh, about 600 host families, Christians, who have put up their hand to say yes to uh, um, having Israelis come and stay in their homes for a couple of nights. So there's a network of Christians there that host Israelis in their homes. This network is also growing across Australia as well. And when they come to New Zealand and Australia, they have opportunity to go into the homes of Christians and um, Christians who have uh, opened up their home uh, to them and, um, and love them and just uh, uh, give them an opportunity to be with them. Um, also, the beauty of uh, New Zealand, particularly the South Island, is uh, quite amazing, of course, uh, opens their hearts to God. And there's been an incredible move of God amongst these Israeli backpackers. Great opportunities to share the gospel. Uh, because uh, when you're in another person's country and you're in another person's home, you, you're a little bit more open to what they believe, uh, their customs, and they're very, very open. What we've discovered with Israelis as they're traveling. And we've had amazing opportunities. So try and uh, get one of these newsletters. I'll have a few in the back there. Tell you all about the work that's been happening in New Zealand. Uh, we have, um, next slide, I think I might show you one of the, uh, the campgrounds we have in New Zealand. It's a, uh, a place where Israelis go and stay over the summer. Oh, I missed that one. Sorry, just uh, stay there for a moment. 
Uh, we also have a lodge in uh, New Zealand in Wanaka, which is one of the most beautiful areas. Over the summer, the lodge hosts uh, over a thousand Israelis. They get to sleep three nights for free. Now, if you're a traveler, three nights for free, well, that's pretty attractive. Uh, you, you can't get in there two or three weeks in advance. You have to book. And uh, when they go there, they get a full presentation of the gospel. We've got... Uh, uh, volunteers that uh, stay at this lodge, that uh, some of them are Israelis themselves, believers, and uh, talking about staying up late to, to witness, uh, they, they on almost every night for the whole of summer stay up till three or four in the morning witnessing to the Israeli backpackers. Um, only young people can do it though, uh, my brother, so uh, you get these young people from uh, Israel to come and do that. They work during the day, stay up until four in the morning, get up and do it again. Uh, but it's a wonderful experience. If anyone here wants to go over there over the summer to do some ministry in New Zealand, uh, please let us know. Reaching out to these Israelis. Many have come to faith in New Zealand and Australia. What a blessing that people come from Israel to our land here, uh, hear the gospel. Some have come to faith here and go back to Israel as believers, start to make an impact uh, in the nation of Israel. And the young believers in Israel are making a difference. There's an exciting move of God amongst the young Israelis. And uh, part of that is because, uh, uh, say, 30 years ago, there were a lot of Westerners, uh, Jews from maybe England, from America, from Australia, have gone to live in Israel. Uh, many of them were believers when they went to go live uh, uh, back in Israel. Well, uh, some Messianic Jews have gone back to live there. Their children have grown up in the land of Israel. Their children have gone to school there. Their children have gone to uh, the army. They've gone to universities. They're now taking their place in society. No longer just simply visitors or immigrants into Israel, but living in the society. And so these Messianic Jews uh, are making quite an impact in various places in Israel. So it's exciting times. The second generation of believers in the land of Israel today are, are starting to make a great impact. So um, we can be part of that. You can actually put up your hand uh, to host Israelis in your home. It's a wonderful experience. Um, they love to come to Melbourne um, and uh, normally just spend two or three nights and uh, you can get a chance to open your home. So uh, get one of these newsletters. Also, I have a, a clipboard. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, pass this clipboard around. If anyone wants to get a free newsletter from us, you can just pass that around. Thank you. And uh, we'll be very happy to send you a newsletter. Um, it's just so that you can pray for our work and that uh, you can um, uh, learn more also about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. Okay, uh, we've been doing work in the far east of Russia, but I'm not going to spend time talking about that. Uh, we work in the far eastern blocks of Russia, uh, and uh, we've actually planted uh, two communities in, uh, in uh, Birubajan, which is uh, an interesting and intriguing area. Birubajan was also known as the Soviet Zion. Soviet Zion, because in 19... 30s, Stalin tried to create his own version of Zion, a place, a homeland for Jews, uh, by creating an area called the Jewish Autonomous Region. And then he tried to send as many Jews there as possible, whether they wanted to go or not. Uh, and all there was there in the north, uh, uh, in the uh, east of uh, Russia was uh, mosquitoes and swamplands. Not much else, but uh, many Jews actually lived and went to live in this area called Birubajan, in the Jewish Autonomous Region. And um, up to uh, 12 years ago, there had not been a gospel witness amongst the Jewish people who had gone to live there until we started our work there 
12 years ago when I have a congregation. I think the next slide is the congregation uh, in Israel, uh, in Birubajan, and also we have a congregation in a place called Vladivostok. I wasn't swearing, that is a real town, Vladivostok, in the uh, east of uh, Russia. Uh, so please pray for those works there. Okay. Uh, I want to share this morning uh, about um, Israel from the scriptures. Uh, and also, just by the way, I want to uh, let you know that on the table, I've only got a handful of some uh, books. One of them is called Israel's Glorious Future. Israel's Glorious Future. Uh, and uh, it obviously goes into the prophecies um, about Israel that are in the scriptures that um, God has promised the nation of Israel certain things in the Bible. Uh, we believe that those promises are uh, current. We believe those promises are uh, both uh, present and for the future and involves Israel. But God's plans and purposes for Israel is always tied together with his plans for the rest of the world. And so uh, we're all uh, kind of tied up together in God's purposes for this world. And uh, he chose this nation Israel for a specific purpose. And I want to explore that purpose a little bit with you today. Uh, and so uh, this message I call Israel the everlasting nation. I believe it's important for us as believers to uh, remember God's uh, plan, God's purposes and his promises and uh, particularly for the nation of Israel because today we have been getting a lot of misinformation through our media and the newspapers around the world on TV uh, that sometimes confuses Christians as to whether they, uh, what they should believe uh, about Israel and what's going on there today. Now today I'm not going to be sharing any of the political issues but I want to share from the scriptures to give us a basis, a foundation from which to be able to understand what is going on in the nation of Israel today. So uh, we go back to some of the most basic promises that God made to this nation and then see how it's tied together with, uh, with all of us as Jews and Gentiles uh, together. So uh, let me begin uh, from the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 30, uh, 31 and verse 35 to 38 makes a special promise. God makes a promise to the nation of Israel. Now, this particular uh, chapter is hot on the heels of a wonderful promise that God had uh, just made to the nation of Israel primarily and first and foremost. It's called the promise of the new covenant. So, uh, if you just turn back to the, uh, the next uh, or the, the couple of verses before this, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34, you'll see very familiar words. A promise that God makes to the nation of Israel, to the house of Israel and, uh, and uh, the, the house of, uh, of Judah. A promise where he says, I will write my laws in your hearts and in your minds. And God reiterates, I shall be your God, you shall be my people. That's a promise of the new covenant. The new covenant the covenant which, in fact, Jesus came to fulfill. And uh, when we had communion this morning, we were celebrating the new covenant that now, through faith in Jesus, we have all been made one in him and we've all been joined together as a new covenant people. But primarily and first and foremost, that covenant was first made to Israel in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. And then, through God's grace, has been extended to all the nations of the world. 
anyone through any other nation can be part of God's new covenant by being grafted in through faith in Jesus and so together we become the new covenant people. But in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, there's a promise of this new covenant. And then immediately after this promise, uh, promise of a new covenant, there's another further promise that God makes to the nation of Israel that they will be an everlasting nation. So uh, let me read to you from uh, verse uh, 35. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is His name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. And furthermore, let's read verse 37. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. What an amazing promise that God makes here to the nation of Israel. A promise that He's never made to any other nation, in fact, in this world. A promise that they will always be a nation before Him. Now, scientists tell us that uh, in our galaxy, which uh, is the Milky Way, that there are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. 400 billion stars. I mean, isn't it wonderful at night sometimes, especially if you get out of Melbourne uh, and go out uh, into the more remote areas and at night time just lie on your back looking up at the stars and seeing all those millions of stars out there. Isn't it an amazing thing? They say 400 billion stars in our galaxy. But you know that our galaxy is not the only galaxy in this universe. In fact, scientists tell us that there are billions of other galaxies in the universe. Billions of other galaxies. Now, if they all have 400 billion stars of their own, well, you know, if you try and add that all up, basically what the scientists are saying, you cannot count it. You cannot count it. It's infinite. Uh, and this is the, uh, the truth, is that uh, uh, as the stars above cannot be counted and be measured, so God says, my promises with Israel remain true still today, intact still today. They will be an everlasting nation before me. This is where we get the idea of being a chosen people. Now, it's important for us to remember that we did not come up with that term, chosen people. In fact, sometimes Jews are a little bit embarrassed about that idea. Uh, a lot of modern Jews today will not like this idea of being chosen. A lot of Jews over the centuries have, uh, have uh, reacted to this idea of being chosen because it hasn't actually been an easy road to be a chosen people. Anyone seen the movie uh, or seen the play Fiddle on the Roof? Fiddle on the Roof? Oh, only a few. Oh my goodness. Who hasn't seen it? Put up your hand. All right, okay, don't be embarrassed, it's okay. But it, it is a real shame. You really should get the movie Fiddle on the Roof. Spend, uh, well, you need about three hours. Get your popcorn and everything all sorted out. And um, spend the day. It's a beautiful story of life, uh, of faith, of struggles. Uh, it's all about um, the Jewish people living in Eastern Europe. Now, the Jews of Eastern Europe are called the Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, my family are Ashkenazi Jews. The Hebrew word Ashkenazi, or Ashkenaz, uh, is the Hebrew word for German. Uh, so, uh, 
Werner Schulz and I were having a talk about that. My surname is Hirsch, which means dear in German. And so uh, we are Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, and the story of uh, Phil on the roof are Jews from Eastern Europe. Now, South African Jews, now I, I was born in South Africa. My parents were born there. Three of my grandparents were born in South Africa. My great-grandparents came from Latvia and Lithuania. Most South African Jews came from those uh, two areas. Now, the story of Fiddle on the Roof is all about Jewish life in these small towns in Eastern Europe called shtetls. And life was uh, very precarious. Traditions and changes going on in the world, very precarious. That's the idea of Fiddler on the Roof. It's not a very uh, safe place to be. And so, uh, it's a, a wonderful story of, uh, of faith. Uh, and uh, the main character is Tivia the Milkman. Tivia, a bit of a mischievous character, but who's great faith in God. He often has arguments with God uh, on a regular basis and also, also with his wife. Uh, but uh, it's always in a very good nature. So I'm going to show you a little clip if we get this working of, uh, of Tivia, the milkman uh, from uh, Fiddle on the Roof. And, uh, uh, and his family were celebrating the giving of his uh, daughter uh, in marriage to uh, the butcher in town whose name is Laser Wolf. The butcher uh, was the wealthy man in town, so he, this was good as celebration, and uh, they were celebrating together. And then on his way home, he gets news that there's going to be a pogrom, that there's going to be persecution. And this is how he feels when he gets that news, this little clip over here. There's been many a time where people have tried to wipe out the nation of Israel. Uh, you had uh, Pharaoh trying to wipe all the baby boys out. You of Esther trying to wipe out all the Jews of Persia. Uh, you've had Herod, King Herod, trying to wipe out the baby boys. You've had others. Uh, Hitler, Hussein, uh, Hezbollah, uh, Hamas. A lot of people with H in the front of their names, funny enough. But anyhow, people have tried to wipe out the nation of Israel. So sometimes we think it's not worth it. But what we need to remember is chosenness does not depend on us. It's got nothing to do with us. Chosenness has got to do with God. God has a plan. And uh, he saw in Abraham a man of faith and he chose him because of that. And it's true, not only for the nation of Israel, but it's true for all of us. If we've come to faith in the Messiah, we know that we didn't choose Him, but He chose us because He saw something before time. He knew what would happen. He predestined us. And that's the same with the nation of Israel. And so, uh, a beautiful scripture that reiterates this is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. It's a beautiful word, sigular, uh, treasured possession. This is what God says of the nation of Israel. So remember, uh, chosenness has got nothing to do with us. And uh, in particular, of this idea of the chosen people, it's got to do with him, not us. Uh, in my opinion, he probably should have chosen the Chinese people. Uh, there's a lot more Chinese in the world than Jews, and actually their food is better than ours too. So, maybe he should have chosen them. But he happened to choose the Jews. That's the way it is. His plan and purpose was through them to bring his message in, into the world. So, let's look at this a little bit. He chose, first of all, one man, Abraham. Then, he chose a portion of land to give that nation. And then, he has a plan. So, let's look at this uh, the idea of a man, a land, and a plan. So, 
choosing of a man. This is a familiar scripture perhaps. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Interesting uh, passage, of course, it's a turning point in the uh, book of Genesis. Adam and Eve had sinned against God, uh, and then, of course, um, had been chucked out of the garden. Then we had, of course, uh, a situation where sin had grown in the world. There was the flood. God judged uh, the world, but uh, chose Noah and his descendants. And out of one of Noah's sons, God chooses a line of Shem, from which he's going to bring his blessing to the world. And he finds in one man, <coughs> Abraham, or at this time his name is still only Avram, a man of faith, and calls him out of his own people. And this is what he says. The Lord had said to Avram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes a covenant with Avram, or Abraham, if you like. Uh, and, he, and you know, in the, in the scriptures, there's two main types of covenants. Uh, there was a bilateral covenant, bilateral, two sides to it. In other words, a conditional covenant. There were two parties that entered into a contract. Uh, other types of covenants, the other main one was a unilateral covenant that is unconditional where two parties entered into a contract but it was based upon uh, the, uh, the attributes of just the one party. It was a unilateral covenant. And God enters into both types of contracts with Abraham. In this particular chapter here, in this particular verse, verses, God enters into a conditional covenant with Abraham or Avram. A conditional one. So God says to Avram, you know, you need to leave your people, leave your nation, leave your family, and go to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. So, uh, and uh, I will bless you. And God uh, says there's going to be a plan and a future for you and your descendants. But what did Abraham have to do in order to enact this covenant? For this covenant to uh, become active, what did Abraham have to do? He had to go. He had to leave. If he said, no thanks God, I'm here in the Ur of the Chaldeans, I like the weather, I've got great uh, family and uh, uh, slaves and lots of uh, wild, wild uh, uh, well, uh, uh, cattle and... Uh, wild stock and stuff, uh, I'm not going anywhere, well then God wouldn't have been then obliged to keep his side of the bargain. But since Abraham told his wife, Sarai, let's get up, we're going, she says, where are we going? He said, I don't know. Who told you? God. Where's God? Uh, I don't know. He's up there somewhere. You know, I've not seen him before. Can you imagine? Sarai also having to exercise great faith. Uh, the two of them got up and started to go. And that started this covenant that God had promised. And we're all mentioned in this covenant, each and every one of us, not just Abraham and his physical descendants, but also all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. All the nations, that's all of us, isn't it? So this is a basic covenant of Scripture. And in fact, the other, other covenants that come are all fulfillments of this covenant. Even the new covenant that Jesus came to fulfill was in a sense a fulfillment of this covenant. To your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So this covenant is still active. It's the basis covenant for all of Scripture and God's dealing with humanity is based upon this. And so we need to remember that. This is still active. And so, 
this is the uh, promise uh, that made to this one man, Avram. And uh, then God also made him a further promise, gave him a portion of land. So let's look at this idea of God's choosing of a nation <coughs> involving a portion of land. And uh, for this we turn to Genesis chapter 15, a little bit further on. Genesis 15, uh, it's an interesting chapter. begins a little bit like Tivia uh, the milkman, having an argument with God. So Tivia has these arguments from time to time. Abraham has an argument with God. God says to him, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. And Abraham has a little laugh at God. He says, what are you talking about? You haven't even given me a child from my own loins. My, my wife Sarai is childless. And Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir. A slave in my house will be my heir. And so he says to God, you have not kept your promises. But God says, I will keep my promises to you. I will give you this land. And this is what God says. He, that's God, also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So not only does God say, I will give you a descendant from, from your own wife, I will also give you this land. And this is uh, an unconditional contract between God and Abraham involving a promise of an heir and the promise of the land. An unconditional. Why is it unconditional? Oh, because Abraham was a sleeping partner because he received this uh, promise when he was fast asleep. God is the one who took it upon himself to say, I will fulfill this covenant. If you continue to read in uh, Genesis 15. It's an unconditional promise. And when we talk about this portion of land, the land of Israel, the promised land, this is where we get into all the uh, current conflict in the Middle East. It's over whose land is the land of Israel. Whose land is the land of Israel. So may I ask this congregation, very um, informed congregation I believe, whose land is the land of Israel? Aha, you got it the second time. Israel, but God's land. It actually is God's land. That's the point. It's God's land. If it's God's land, He can give it to whoever He wishes. It's, uh, you know, uh, the, the people of Israel are not owners. They are tenants. It's a very important principle in Scripture. Israel were given, was given the land as tenants. They were not allowed to sell the land. Why? Because it didn't belong to them. Every tribe was allotted a portion of land. Yes, they took that land in conflict, and we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, thousands of years ago. They were given portions of the land. Each tribe had a portion. They were not allowed to sell that land because it was inheritance, and they were not uh, owners, they were tenants. And so, <clears throat> uh, God was the one who decided who would have what land. And if God is the landowner... We are just the tenants. You know that um, uh, in order to live in Caulfield, I have to rent. Very expensive suburb, by the way, trying to live in Caulfield. It's the best place for us to be working amongst Jewish people, of course. But my word, I, ha I own a home in Ringwood, and I rent that out, and I pay double to live in Caulfield. Uh, and uh, I have a landowner, a landlord. His name is Abe, Abraham. <coughs> I won't say his surname for his own privacy, but he's my landlord and I pay him rent. Now, I can't go and sell his house, can I? What happens if I try to sell his house? Well, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. I'm going to go to court. I'm going to go to jail. 
Same with the people of Israel. Uh, we don't have a right to give up land. And yet, Israel has tried to do that. Israel, in order to appease the nations, and to uh, appease in particular the Arab nations and the Palestinians, have been in a process of giving up land all the time. And even still today, there's a great pressure on Israel to give up land that we've had in our possession for three and a half to four thousand years. And that is the difficulty of what's going on in the Middle East right now. And uh, let's have a look at this a little bit more closely. This land, whose land is it? Well, in Genesis 15, uh, we read a little bit more about this. Uh, Genesis, uh, actually let's have a look at this map first of all. The, the, the land of Israel is very small. Interesting how it is such a central point of human history and uh, current events. It's always what goes on in the Middle East, in Israel, affects the rest of the world. So, you know, <clears throat> do you know how many times that uh, Israel fits into Tasmania? Who thinks, sorry, any Tasmanians here before I say anything? Who thinks Tasmania is small? We all think it's small compared, that's, uh, we all know it's small, but Israel is much smaller than Tasmania. Tasmania is 4.36 times bigger than Israel. Much larger than Israel. Uh, and so, the, the problem in the Middle East is over the small portion of land. Now, the land that God gave to Israel originally was a lot bigger. A lot bigger. And, uh, in fact, the land that we have today is, is uh, a, only a small portion of the land that was first given to us by God and also actually smaller than the land that was given to Israel uh, by United Nations or the League of Nations before 1948. But that's another discussion. Let's go to the next slide and uh, have a look at this promise that God made to Israel. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. That's a much larger section of land. I, can't, I haven't got that uh, superimposed there, but it's a much bigger section of land. The land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gershusites, and Jebusites. So these are the people who originally were living in that land. Uh, but let me ask, anyone here, it's quite a multi-ethnic community today, any Kenites here this morning? Any Kenites? Any Kenizzites? Kenizzites? Any Cadmonites? <laughs> Alright. Uh, any Hittites? Perhaps um, there might be some Perizzites here too, this morning. Raphites? Uh, Amorites? Canaanites? Gershusites? Jubasites? There's no Parasites, of course, in this congregation. Uh, but, you know, these are the people that lived there 4,000 years ago. These were the ancient people, but they're all gone. They've all been destroyed. They all have faded from history. There are no, none of these people left anymore. The only people who are still dating back to that time are the Israelites, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, who are descendants of the original settlers of this land or at this time. And so, even if you're looking from an Aboriginal land ownership perspective, even if you didn't really believe in the Bible, you looked at the most ancient people, the Israelites are the most ancient people to that land. And yet, there's such a pressure on Israel still today, give up more land for peace. Uh, and, you know, there's an interesting situation going on right now. Because uh, the world wants to recognize the Palestinian state. For the most part, the world has already recognized it, even though it's not an official nation. Notice that 
there was a nation called uh, Palestine at the World Olympics. There's, there's no official nation called Palestine yet, but they were there at the Olympics. And uh, what the uh, Palestinians want uh, is uh, the west bank uh, of uh, the west side or the east of Jerusalem, should I say? It's called the west bank, but the east of Jerusalem. If Israel gave up the east of Jerusalem, they would have to give up Mount of Olives uh, and uh, and the Temple Mount. Uh, and what what would that mean in the in a final end time scenario? Where is Jesus returning to? Mount of Olives. And is he returning to Palestine or Israel? <laughs> He's turning to Israel. You know that, uh, biblically speaking, there was no such t- a place called Palestine. Uh, it was named after the Bible, Palestine. I always find it interesting in maps, even in your Bibles. You open up the maps in your Bibles, what does it say? The land of Palestine. It was only called Palestine after the Romans had uh, uh, destroyed Jerusalem and renamed its capital, Alia Capitolina, the Jerusalem. was uh, The name eradicated, a new name given, and the land called Palestine as a further insult to the Jews because it was named after the Philistines, who were our arch enemies. And still, still historians and sometimes uh, Bibles talk about the land of Palestine, but it never was called the land of Palestine at the time of Jesus. It was the land of Israel. Jesus was not born in Palestine. He was born in Israel. And he's coming back to Israel. And so uh, you need to, to understand things that are going on today, in a sense, is to stop God fulfilling his promises. If Satan can get God to, uh, to not fulfill his promises, then the world would know that God is a liar. If there is no everlasting nation, well then God could be said to be a liar. His promises do not, uh, are not fulfilled. So Satan's plan has always been to eradicate the Jewish people in Israel so that God will be found to be a liar. And this is uh, a part uh, of the reason that God fulfills his purposes because he is a covenant-keeping God. And so we'll finish with a couple of scriptures where we look at uh, God's plan of salvation. God's plan, Romans chapter 11. An incredible chapter that God speaks about his plan for Israel and the nations. God loves the whole world. He has a plan for the whole world. He had to go about fulfilling that plan in a particular way. He chose Israel to be a blessing to the nations. And uh, God first chose Israel but then he has a plan for the nations to come to faith that will affect Israel's final salvation as well. All beautifully and wonderfully uh, explained in Romans chapter 11. This chapter is uh, a gem in the book of Romans. In fact, it probably is the climax of the book of Romans. At the end of the book of, uh, 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 of chapter 11, shall I say, Paul is so excited about God's plan of salvation, uh, like a true Pentecostal, he just breaks out in a song. And so at the end of Romans 11, he starts singing a song. And this is what he sings. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To God be, uh, sorry, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful song? And then right after this, uh, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, in the light of this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And so this is really a climax. Why is he so excited? Well, he's been explaining God's plan for the world, Israel and the nations. You know, folks, I want to encourage you that God has a plan. This world feels like it's out of control right now, isn't it? Terrorism and global warming and all sorts of things going on, a lot of fear. This world is in God's hands. He has a plan that he is working out. He has not left us alone. He is working out his plans. And so God has a plan. First of all, uh, Paul reiterates in Romans 11 verse 1 that God has not rejected his people. Very important question. You know that questions are more important than answers. God, God uh, uh, calls us to question because he wants us not just to know the answers but questions actually tell us a lot. And Paul here starts Romans 11 with a question. I ask then, did God reject his people? It's a very important question. Many people have tried to answer that. People have said yes. God rejected the Jews because the Jews rejected Jesus and crucified him. Therefore God found another people to replace the Jews called the church. This has been a theology that's been very popular in the church for 1800, 2000 years. But why would not people just read Paul's very own answer? Did God reject his, his people? By no means. Absolutely not. God can never be a liar. He has to fulfill his promises. God has not rejected his people because God saved Paul himself, who is a Jew and has a plan for him and for the nation. And so God affirms that he is a covenant-keeping God. And it's true, though, as Jews, we still need to believe in Jesus to be saved, but God still has a covenant with us through Abraham. And so Romans 11, verse 11 and 12, are part of this plan. And this is where we're all involved together. Romans 11, 11. Again, I ask another question, Paul says. Did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. This is very profound, my friends. Uh, I'm still coming to grips with this. I've uh, preached on these verses a lot, but only in recent months or this last year I've really begun to feel these scriptures. It's an amazing plan of salvation. Did the Jews stumble beyond recovery? Not at all. Because of their transgression. What transgression? When we rejected Jesus as the Messiah, it was a transgression, no doubt. It was a sin. We rejected the very Messiah sent to us. But as a result of our transgression, salvation came to the Gentiles. That is when, when, the, when we rejected Jesus, the message of Jesus was taken to the nations. Paul says, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Did you know that God saved you? If you're not Jewish and you're from the nations, did you know that God saved you to make Jews jealous? That's why he saved you. That's your main purpose in life, is to make Jews jealous. You ought to love God so much. You meant to love the Messiah so much that Jews will want what you have. And, and God is using you that way. Let me tell you that by far the most Jewish people who have come to know the Lord have come to know the Lord through Gentiles who have witnessed to them, who have Gentiles who have loved them and have provoked them to spiritual jealousy. So go for it. Do it. Love God in, so much, in such a way that Jews will want what you have. And uh, I'm telling you, it works. This is God's plan of salvation. You know, uh, more, Jew, more Jews have come to faith 
through Gentile Christians who have loved them than professional missionaries like myself who may be Jewish. So this is God's plan of salvation. And in verse 12, he finishes it off. Verse 12, if their transgression means riches for the world, if their transgression, what transgression? When we rejected Jesus. It meant riches for the world. Why? Because the gospel went out to the world. And their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their fullness bring? So Paul goes on to explain this, that God hardened our hearts and closed our eyes, the Jews, when Jesus came. He hardened our hearts, he blinded our eyes for a reason, so that the gospel could go to the Gentiles. So what's happened to my Jewish people for the last 2,000 years? For 2,000 years, we've had our hearts hardened and our eyes blinded by God. Why? For your salvation. That's a tough one to actually uh, to work around. To realize that for 2,000 years, we have not had salvation because our eyes have been blinded and hardened and we didn't recognize the Messiah. Yet I know, individually, we can all turn to God. Yet I know... Many Jews throughout the century have turned to God through Jesus the Messiah. And that is happening still today. But God says there was a plan. The hardening has come upon Israel in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in and then all Israel will be saved, Paul explains. So there's a plan. It's it's an amazing plan. In verse 15, finally, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I believe that when Jewish people come back, to the Messiah and our eyes are opened it's going to be great riches for the world even life from the dead what's life from the dead? it's resurrection power it's revival I believe there will be worldwide revival when Israel returns to Jesus the Messiah and uh, that's, that's what I believe will be that final revival uh, and this is what we're working towards in Jewish ministry we're not just trying to get Jewish people saved we want the world to be blessed if we can get Jewish people saved It will mean great riches, even greater riches for the Gentiles. If we can get Jewish people saved, then they'll be able to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for Jesus, and Jesus will be ready to come back. And we all want him to come back, right? So, pray for salvation for Israel, that the world might be blessed, and that Jesus might return. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, your words of encouragement to us. Help us to understand uh, these mysteries. Give us discernment. You promised us your Holy Spirit to teach us. So Lord, may you teach us. I've presented what I believe you've taught me over these years. Lord, I pray for each one here that you reveal the truth to them. Thank you that you love each and every one of us. That's why you sent Jesus. To save the world. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and purpose for each one of us. For that reason, you revealed yourself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and to the nation of Israel to bring your word and to bring your Messiah into the world. Help us now, Lord, in these days to find our purpose in our life, that we might serve you with all our hearts and that, Lord, we would provoke many to jealousy, not just the Jews, but many will be provoked to spiritual jealousy because of what you are doing in our hearts. It's all you, Lord. That's the gospel. You have done it. And we love you and appreciate you. And we bless you in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name. Amen.